0: Hey fam, so, Welcome to Season 1 of the Resilient Wingman Podcast, where we talk about fortitude, providence, and a little bit of logistics in the Air Force as we navigate through the minutiae of life. I'm your host, Roy R.J. Jefferson, and today I have a special guest on today's episode, my very own supply chief at my squadron at the 87th Logistics Readiness Squadron at uh, JBMDL. He sits as a material management flight chief. Uh, he is Chief Scott Fitzpatrick.
1: Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking look forward to some good questions, maybe provide some perspective. Uh, but I'm all ears and ready to provide some comments, sir.
0: Copy, copy. I appreciate you, Chief. So I think one of the things that I'd like to do is just first start off by saying, Uh, Thank you so much for being on. It's uh, such an honor, and and I am very humbled that you decided to take the call and and hop on. But I wanted to ask if you could just explain to the audience who you are. Tell tell them a little bit about who uh, who you are, what you do, talk about family. Um, If you can start there, sir.
1: Yeah, so uh, born in uh, Brooklyn, New York, to uh, a family that was in the Army. Only lived in Brooklyn for three months, and then uh, my dad PCS'd. uh, um, to Panama. So basically an army brat that's kind of been all over the place, um, from Panama to Korea, Korea to Kansas, Kansas to Washington state, and then Alabama where my dad retired, um, couldn't find a job. So he went back home to Oklahoma and that's where, uh, basically you say where I'm from, I'm from Oklahoma spent the last uh, three years in high school there. Uh, right. Married my uh, high school sweetheart, so that's kind of cool. Not a lot of people can yeah. say they can that that they do that, right? And, yeah. Um. So I've got one son that right now that's twenty one, and my daughter is uh, seventeen and about to graduate high school. So I, well, wow. one of the reasons I joined was is I was pretty good you know right out of high school getting a good job with a computer company but just kind of really no benefits right. um so you know as i look to the future um with my wife i was just like you know what does that look like and so um uh, being in, in the army right uh my dad in the army kind of asked him was like look i said you know i'm looking at doing this you know kind of what are your thoughts and um and he's like, you know, do you like living in a tent or do you like uh, hotel <laughs> style, right?
0: Right, or, right. Uh,
1: do you want MREs or do you want like a hot meal? So I'm like, well, I, I kind of like nice stuff. And so he right. kinda
0: basically said,
1: uh, go Air Force.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's so pretty that's, cool.
1: That's really kind of where I started and uh, kind of how I got uh, into the Air Force.
0: Yeah, I think we got a lot in common. so. Yeah, so I I actually married my high school sweetheart. Uh, Monica and I, we've been together going on 25 years strong. Uh, We'll celebrate our next anniversary this year. Uh, But, you know, just much like yourself, my dad was army and uh, he PCS between Germany, Korea, where he met my mom, of course, and then Louisiana, where I was born and raised. So I I totally get it. You said military lifestyle. Uh, and, and things of that nature so you brought up an interesting topic that I wanted to broach a little bit uh, so how does it feel to have a seventeen year old uh and and getting ready to go to college uh,
1: it, it's kind of mixed emotions right and so right. like um trying to prepare her to to what life is like a, after she graduates high school and and then trying to translate that into like hey, what do you want to do right and I think she's just Really, like, hey, can I just get through high school first before I <laughs> decide really what I want to do if I even want to go to college? And, you know, and I'm not fine with that. And so, right. like, my son decided he didn't want to pursue college. But, you know, I'm like, OK, then, then, then figure out what you want to do with your life. And, you know, and so. It's, it's a, it's a balance, right? And so one, you got to, you know, try and support as much as you can, but yet you still got to push a little bit because, you know, I think if you don't push, then I think they want to stay in the house forever. Right.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Um. So it's just one of those that, you know, you've you kind of, kind of coach and push and, but you, you necessarily don't want to do it too much because right. then they're just going to stop talking to you.
0: No, um, you're so,
1: right. You're right. Delicate situations sometimes. Absolutely. Sometimes, you know,
0: yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting because and you you do say delicate and, and I hit on that because uh, I, I, too, am in a situation as well where, you know, you want to let them grow. You want to let them develop into a very, you know, uh, outstanding citizen and, and an adult. But at the same time, you really don't want them to go too far away because, you know, some of the dangers that are out there. Uh, I have uh, two girls and a boy myself. And so, you know, you want to try to prepare them as much as you possibly can. But then, you know, well, flip side of that, you want them to also just branch out and do their own thing. So it's it's really delicate. You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah. And, and I think one of the benefits that, that our kids have over kids that just, one, either haven't left their state or very limited travel, right, is they get to see the different cultures, the different aspects of what it means to live in different parts of one, the world, uh, and in the states to, to kind of have that perspective. And I think, honestly, I think they're a step ahead than, than some individuals throughout the u.s
0: right absolutely no and i appreciate you uh telling the audience a little bit about your your background and your family that's that's very interesting um how we all come from different walks of life and how we're all interconnected. connected uh i was hoping maybe you could share with the audience some of the jobs that you've actually uh been in and supply um and, and things of the nature you know maybe it's the, the scow or SCOS or headquarters Right.
1: So uh, I really did not want to be a material manager. Um, so I, when I joined, I um, wanted to be an airfield manager. So I did not know you had to see color <laughs> to be an airfield manager. So uh, needless to say, I'm colorblind. So, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, so I went to tech or uh, basic training uh, and about three weeks in, you know, here's a job list. And then so airfield manager's on there. So, I, you know, I put it on there and Uh, I come back a week later and they're like, congratulations, you got material management. I'm like, um, excuse me, this is not what I want. Right. And so I, I really, it was like disgruntled a little bit per se, but when I got to tech school and really just understood what material management is, uh, I was like, Ooh, I said, saying so bad. So, um, kind of really fell in love with it at tech school, got to my first assignment at Tinker, uh, and I worked, uh, the MRSP, which is the mobility range of spares Package. So they're basically big green bins, or on pallets of, of parts, uh, needed to support, uh, the aircraft in the deployed environment. Um, so I was basically managing that, um, had a great time deployed to PSAB and with the AWACS did counter drug operations down in Tampa, uh, managing these kits, um, and then in between that, I kind of worked with the aircraft parts store, uh, swing shifts. I worked that for maybe about six months, managing the warehouse, managing the kits, just supplying the aircraft maintainers with parts in order to repair aircraft. Uh, and then after that, I got an assignment to Isleson Air Force Base uh, where I worked the individual protective equipment where we managed like all of the, the C-Bernie type gear, your cold weather gear, your sleeping bags and, you know, uh, web belts, you know, canteen, stuff like that. So um, I did that for a while. Um, and then uh, part of IPE, we also managed the weapons vault. So after I did about a, a year in managing the, the, the bags, mobility bags, I kind of transitioned and I started managing weapons. Um, That was pretty cool because then I got to go in, handle weapons, fire a little bit more. And then I I made staff sergeant. um, Then they moved me over to quality assurance. Um, Back then it was procedures and analysis. So today it's quality assurance. Um, Really did like uh, inspections, wrote uh, supplements to the current AFIs, got the commander's intent stuff and wrote that. Uh, after that, uh, I deployed to Al Jabber in support of A-10s, again with uh, the kits. Um, that was a, a great deployment, first time with uh, any type of fighters. And then I, I came back, and then I PCS'd uh, to Utah. Worked in the engine back shop, so I was the, one of two supply people in the engine back shop. Uh, we oversaw daily operations, GPC card holder. We, we basically got them parts. We got them everything they needed to repair F-16 engines. Um, did that for two years uh, and then went over to the 388 fighter wing side and worked uh, my caps for the F-16s. Did that for a year. Uh, while I was over there doing that, I got to go to Peru for 14 days for uh, joint flight training with F-16s. That was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. And then after that, um, decided to do a remote uh to in order to get to europe so i went to korea for a year um, started in the flight service center where we oversaw all the repair cycle assets that needed to come back for repair found out i made a uh, tech sergeant uh over and then they became the udm for the squadron you know in korea it's, it's very fast paced a lot of exercise a lot of things going right. on so uh, that was very eye-opening for me because uh, it's the first time that i've kind of really stepped out of supply and did something totally different Um, so I I went to Korea in order to get the Aviano. Aviano was my number one choice. So, uh, after Korea, we went to Aviano, um, worked in central storage for about eight or nine months. And then I deployed to Iraq and Iraq really ran customer service, did a lot of the wing purchase stuff as the resource advisor for the wing, only about 15 people in supply, really just uh, did MRAP um, type vehicle support there at uh, the Baghdad International Airport, and then came back and I moved over to MRSP, the Mobility Radio Sp- Spares Package again, uh, doing stuff for the F-16s for a little stint. Um, then I did a little micap stuff uh, for a little bit, and then I deployed to Afghanistan, working. Uh, it was more of an Air Advisory type gig, uh, overseeing a lot of the like supply operations. I did the, the different FOBs. Um, that was a pretty cool gig. I enjoyed. Got to go around, travel. Uh, came back, made master, and then got an assignment to Elmendorf. It wasn't assigned to the LRS there. I, I kind of filled the role outside of the, the LRS and the 611th Air Support Squadron. Uh, and basically, what we did was is we oversaw the contractors that operated radar sites throughout Alaska, uh, and those radar sites fed in the NORAD uh, and basically protected the northern tier um, from any type of. Uh, invasion, you know, that the precursor to that stuff. Um, we had an airfield out at Erickson Air Station, the second to the last uh, island out in the Lucian chain. Um, that was pretty cool going out there and seeing all that. We also had Wake Island uh, out in the middle of the Pacific. Um, that's huge history as far as, you know, during World War II, Japan took it over um, you just killed several uh, POWs out there. That was cool to get out there and see that part of history. Uh, yeah. And then, so I worked in QA there, that squadron for a little bit. And then I moved over to mission support side of the house uh, inside that squadron. And then I eventually became the SEL um, for that squadron. It was a unique squadron. It was about 45 people uh, mixed with military and uh, civilian. Um, But we had about 20 different AFSCs in that squadron.
0: Wow.
1: So we would go out all these sites and do inspections, write the the contractor up, make sure they're following what they're supposed to be doing. So relative to supply, but uh, a totally different angle uh, of supply. Right. And so, uh, we also did barge operations. It's the only base, uh, in the air force that still does barge operations. Um, because some of the sites we had, we, you know, are dirt runways, um, or, uh, very limited, uh, cargo capacity on some of these, uh, sites. So we would do, we right. have to use the barge. Um, and then we also barge stuff out to wake Island, uh, and Erickson air station. Wow. Uh, yeah, so a lot of the different logistics piece to it. Um, very, very exciting. Um, and then out of there, I made senior um, and got an assignment to Travis. Really, as a senior right now, you're kind of the flight lead, so really there I was, I became the flight lead and kind of really oversaw all of material management's um, uh, work areas ensuring that, you know, we're providing support for the C-5s and the C-17s. Um, out of there, I, got a, uh, I did a developmental special duty, they called it, to Aldawfer Air Base. Once again, it was another supply job related, so basically running the supply section in a deployed environment. Um, so I did that for a year, uh, May chief, uh, and then got an assignment to McGuire. Uh, again, back in the flight, uh, really just running material management uh, for the C-17s, and then we just, you know, brought on the KC-46, um, so trying to figure out that beast. So that's kind of right. where I'm at, and my, my life of 24 years so far uh, in the Air Force.
0: Thank you for that rundown. And that's interesting how you navigated through the different supply points. I mean, supplies is very expensive. And I think that uh, the, I think what every airman wants to know is what is the secret sauce to making chief?
1: The secret sauce uh, is really, you know, be genuine, right? Uh, go out yeah. there and, and be the best you um, that you can be right. I, you know, there's going to be days where we're going to fall. There's going to be days that you're going to, you're going to fail, but the, the resiliency of how you bounce back, right. And, and don't make the same mistakes over, right. Or even like improve on what you've done already. Everybody has a, a, a different path, right. Um, and, and I will tell you that you don't need to strat to make teeth, right. Um, you just need to be the best you when you come in and wear that uniform. Mm,
0: that's um, and, powerful. And don't,
1: yeah. And don't be afraid of failure. Right. You know, as a chief, I there's things I still, you know, mess up. But uh, it's 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 how we learn uh, from our mistakes and, and how do we press forward.
0: Right. Right. Now, that's powerful, because I think that a lot of times people are afraid of failure and, and it's in that failure moment that builds that resiliency to try again you have two choices either you fail you fail horribly and you don't try again but you'll never know what that outcome is going to be if you don't try again and, and then and then the other part is you you continue on and you keep going so that's that's a very important point that you, you pointed out yeah the,
1: I think the greatest lesson in life is through failure yeah All right, because I mean if you're doing if you're doing great all day long right nobody's going to give you feedback right? So how do you know you're really truly doing the best that you can? And, and honestly, it's through failure.
0: Absolutely. I think that is a definitely a, a golden nugget that I think that we need to continue to, to, uh, to try to get after. Uh, but so absolutely. So those points in terms of like, you know, how to become a chief and things of nature, there had been some things that you did correctly. And, and I don't know if you can elaborate on some of those things, but what do you think that you did right that really sparked the attention outside of your, your performance.
1: One of it's, you know, visibility, right? So you've got to step out of your comfort zone. If if you just want to come and, and, and do your work, right. Great. But what, what are you doing to, to get out of your comfort zone? What are you doing to, to build your reputation? Right. Uh, and what I'm you. talking about is, is what are you doing in say the, the Airmen's Club? What are you doing in the, in the five six club? What are you doing in, in the top three? Right? What are you doing uh, even in the Chiefs group? You know, when they ask for volunteers to go uh, lead this event or or we need you to go do this, right? Who, who wants to volunteer? Are are you taking that opportunity, right, to to get your name out there to to brand to senior leaders who you are? Because right, I think that's very important because if you're not branding who you are and what you represent, not only to yourself, but to, to the Air Force and how you uh, potentially lead others, right? I, I, I think you're missing the mark because there are plenty of opportunities out there to say, Good. hey – Right, one lessons learned, but two that you can do a multi facets of things, right? Because in those organizations, when you're volunteering, it's showing everybody that one, you can lead your peers, that you can interact with leadership, and you can form under pressure, right? right? And I think those are are key elements of what it means to grasp and even become a chief, right? Because even as a chief, right, there's things that that you got to do. You're performing under pressure, right? You got to talk to senior leaders, uh, and you've got to perform, right? Um, and so, and those are learned traits through activities that you do throughout the Air Force as you're right. growing. So you got to brand yourself. You got to you got to let people know who you are and how, how you represent yourself,
0: right? Let me ask you. So for us, uh, you know, we have a saying, and I'm certain that you guys have it as well, where it's it's bloom where you're planted. And I think that comes to mind when you, when you say, you know, be your true, your authentic self and do a good job. But uh, being able to branch out and, and do a little bit more challenging things. Did you at any point have any sort of mentorship along the way?
1: I had like hit
0: and miss mentorship.
1: You know, I've always been told, hey, grab a mentor. Um, but I, I think everywhere I've gone, uh, I've had some type of mentorship. Um not like I've had one mentor my entire career. I've had uh, like multiple min- mentorships at every assignment, which is great because each mentorship brings a different perspective. Um, and you talk about bloom where you're, you're planted. Um, I truly believe we're going to be put in situations where we don't want to be right? Or, right or put into a situation where we don't want to be with this person or this leader, um, but that gives you an opportunity to overcome that challenge, right?
0: Mm, yes.
1: Right, and so if you can overcome that challenge, just think what you can do elsewhere.
0: Absolutely, I, I think uh, you know you hit the nail on the head. I do feel you in that sentiment because I, I too have felt that same constraint uh, with not having to get along, whether it be you know civilians or, or military uh, officers, whatever, whatever have you. It's just that that development of and you have to decide, you know, either I'm going to get along for the best, greater good, or I'm going to continue to be in this this funk and we're going to always butt heads. And so, you know, it comes to the realization that, you know, it's it's bigger than, you know, you, you're the mission, the airmen, it's much larger than, you know, what, you know, you have going on, whether it be personality-wise. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I uh, definitely attest to that.
1: Yeah, and I, the beauty of of the part of being in the military, right? Change is inevitable, right? So, if you're in a situation that that's not necessarily working out, you know, there's several things that could happen. One, Ron, you could PCS uh, or, or PCA to, you know, a different squadron. Uh, the person that's, that you're involved with, right, that person could PCS, uh, PCA, retire, whatever. Um, so, or you could deploy for six months, right, and, and kind of be pulled out of that situation. So, I think that's the beauty of of the military is there's there's change on the horizon.
0: Absolutely. So, Chief, if you had to go back in time and you had to tell your former self, your younger version of yourself, what would be the three things that you would try to say in order to prepare you for where you're at right now?
1: Patience. um, Have those tough conversations with those individuals. Right. Because sometimes um, we want to run. Right. We yeah. want to run away from those tough conversations,
0: and I know there's there's so so many things. You
1: could there, there is right, and so you yeah. know, like like I'm a I'm a go getter, right? And so right. there's a lot of things that I could have done right if yeah. I had the patience. Right, because yeah. I'm like, oh, my boss wants this. You know, he'll like it, right? If I get it to him, you know, two out in in two hours versus the four hours he gave me, right? And so there was a lot of like right. mistakes that I made just because I wasn't patient. Um, I didn't take time to uh, understand what was being asked of me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think by if I had patience, I I could have had a better product or a better outcome, um, in, in those situations, you know. And then um, there's, I mean,
0: yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I can also I,
1: too. I think at, at a younger age, I think I would. I was just saying the, the, the kind of the last thing was is I wish I just had a little bit more nud right uh, mm. from from some of my mentors and like like help me help me make the right decision right uh, and what right. volunteer what what areas would look like good for me right because I'm like I just want to do my job. Right. right. Oh, hey, do you want BTZ? Go do this. Hey, do you, do you, do you want to make staff? Then you right and make your your records strong. Go do this. Right. So at at an early age, I necessarily didn't have that. Right. But as I grew up, right, as as I think more of put me in the right spot. Really, didn't happen until I was a master sergeant.
0: I see. So yeah.
1: if, if I knew that, I think if I knew that at a younger age, um, maybe I could have made chief a little faster. Right. Um, right. Because I've seen like I've seen a chief uh, at, at 16 years. Right. Oh, but really? I think. Right. I've seen I've seen a couple of them uh, in the supply curve field that that made chief at 15. But I, I think they had that mentor or, or, or a couple mentors at that young age, putting them in the right opportunity and in guiding their career. And, and I didn't necessarily have that at a young age
0: right i mean but at that time though 16 years is you know that's not so that's a lot of time but there's not a lot of time and that's not traditionally the way it goes i mean do you think that was too soon
1: one chief absolutely the the second chief it, no she she was spot on okay uh and now you know she's a, she's a command chief at i think 18 years in
0: oh wow yeah it's um, amazing
1: you know she I, I she's a different breed um you know she's phenomenal the other guy
0: yeah it, it,
1: he probably could have used some more seasoning.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes, you know, um, some things are given to you real, just really too fast. Right. And some things are, are given to you slow and there it's that right balance of, of, and I, when I say give, I'm not saying that nothing was earned. I'm just saying just the idea of of being in that rank. Sometimes it's, it's too fast. Sometimes it's slow, but you know, you touched on um, a little bit about, you know, some of those things that you would have known in terms of, the volunteer opportunities or btz so I, I came in in 99 and i came in as a e1 and i made my way up to so staff sergeant but during that time frame i made btz is that really something that is really going to bolster you up uh, ahead of your peers is btz or uh the Pittsburgher award or als grad and things of that nature so
1: right now, um, with the EF, uh, DP, uh, where we're giving people extra points, uh, for promotion opportunity, right? I, I think it it does give the leg up on the ones that won BTZ, um, the ones that won quarterly awards, annual awards, the Pittsburgh, you know, those, those unique um, log logistics readiness type of award. I think it does because um, when you're when your records are being reviewed by senior leadership on potential for promotion, right? We look at those aspects uh, and what you are accomplishing, right? And so what does it mean to be a BTZ award winner? Right? You means that you're you're crushing it in your job, you're you're leading your peers and you're ready to be a senior airman before your other counterparts that came in the same time. Right. right. Um, and so I believe it does.
0: Okay. And I think uh, some of the, the negative, or I wouldn't say negative, but some of the considerations in terms of recommending people for BTZ is potentially they could make staff right at the gate at an earlier time.
1: Right. So it really depends on when you sew on senior airmen. So if you sew on 1 Feb, right, uh, absolutely. You could have um, sewn on senior airmen like 28 January. So 1 Feb is the cutoffs, and but you're testing that year, right? So typically you can um, make staff at your your three and a half year mark. I mean, you're not going to sew on because you're going to yeah. be considered yeah. all others by the time the line numbers come up. But technically, you made staff at your three-and-a-half-year mark. But, you, you know, it's going to be closer to four, four-and-a-half years before you sew it on. Right, um, right. I, th- I think I'm okay with that because it's uh, – your BTC – it's not like we're giving everybody BTC, right? So depending on the size of the squadron, you might only have one or two per quarter. Right. That's kind of where our struggle – I think the, the the hardest struggle is is between the senior and and – uh, staff sergeant, right? Um, because you're you're still an airman, you're still tactical, you're still doing the job, but now we're going to add on what it means to be a supervisor, right? And so I think we we as an Air Force need to do a better job coaching our staff sergeants and then giving them the right tools to be successful as a staff.
0: Right, right. I mean, because at that level, there's a lot of responsibility that's thrusted on them. I mean, they go through ALS and they're taught just the surface level of here's what a supervisor does. This is what you you know, have to be cognizant of, but as soon as they become that, that staff sergeant, it's like, now all this responsibility is thrusted on you. Now you have to figure it out.
1: Right. And so not only now, I, I used to just be responsible for myself. Right.
0: Right. And yeah. as a staff
1: sergeant, now I'm responsible for these other people.
0: <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a challenging uh, thing, because sometimes, you know, if you had, you know, five carbon copies of you as airmen, you know, you would you would run it. Right. And it'll be smooth. But you have to deal with personalities and you have to deal with people who really don't care sometimes. Right. I mean, you have to find creative ways to motivate them. Uh, and I'm not saying that's for everybody, you know. I mean, you know, people are in the military for reasons because they hopefully want to be there. But those that don't, it's like, okay, well, there's a place for you. But first, let me see what I can do to, to try to change that, and let me get to the root of everything. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to recall in the recesses of your mind if you can, Chief, just <laughs> some of the th- some of the people that uh, you've had personality-wise, uh, airmen that you had to really just get a quick uh, you know, kicking a butt.
1: So, yeah, there's, there's been multiple times, you know, uh, one time I had, a, uh, an airman come in and I was really just having a good conversation with them. Uh, really just like trying to figure out why they were doing certain things the way they were doing it, you know, just like trying to give them that, like, Hey, you know, wake up, because uh, if you don't wake up, then your career is going to be very short. And as he was walking out, right. He had this, you know, just this disgusting look on his face, shaking his head up. And I'm like, you know, yelling at him. It was probably the first time I've yelled at, at an airman in, in, in a very long time, like get back in my office. Right. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, while, while I appreciate you uh, owning up to your mistakes, but you know, I, I need some military bear, bearing from you. Right. Cause while it is, you go on it in your own time, just, you know, not in front of me. This is a, a one-way conversation. I need right. you to, to understand what's being said and then be able to execute it later. Um, yeah. You know, but I, I consider myself more, I'm a compassionate chief, I think, uh, or I don't, I don't think yelling necessarily mm. gets the point across with some people. I, you know, I had a chief tell me one time, you know, words matter. Right? Absolutely. What comes out of your mouth um, will either have a lasting impact or have no impact at all.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, and so, and that, and that's why the way I choose to lead is through my words.
0: Absolutely. You know, you, you hit on something uh, cause I always tell the kids and, and sometimes I, I have opportunities to, when I retire people, I like to talk about how words matter. I mean, words matter and they do matter. Uh, you know, it's so important uh, because, you know, even, even in the Bible, it talks about, you know, in the beginning, you know, heaven, and earth, God, light, so it, it does say, you know, that God spoke words into existence. And right. and yeah. so it's so powerful because it, it could have just mentioned the 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 description of God doing things. Right. But it also just said, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So, you know, words do matter. They have a, a lasting impact. And from an even scientific standpoint, there's this doctor by the name of uh, Dr. Moto. He's a water researcher. Uh-huh. And he basically took samples of water and put them. Uh, well he spoke uh, and labeled like negative words and positive words on different samples and so he froze those and when he put pulled those water samples out uh you know the wa- words that were positive had you know beautiful geodescent, geo- uh, descent, uh huh. full of color full of life uh patterns and the the words that were negative uh had like distorted uh you know shapes and figures and things in nature very dark and colorless and so you know, if you think about it, 75 percent of our bodies are made of of water. And so when you speak these words to people and to yourself, if you have like self-doubt, you know, you're internalizing all that, all that negativity. So 100 percent believe in, you know, words matter and how yeah. important they are. Yeah. So yeah no, right? Thank you so- for sharing that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there. I think there's a study that was done, uh, I don't know if it was at a school or college, but with with plants, right? And so they had uh, plants on one uh, one on one side, one on the other, right? One plant, they only spoke negative words to. Uh, The other plant was, you know, positive, encouraging, right? And, you, you know, just like the water. The, the plant that had encouraging like flourished right. It it, yep. it grew compared to the other one. It was like looked dreary. It needed like it needs to be watered. Need like it it needed some love right. By doing so, planting those words of positivity, people think differently right, um, and so that what's which, which is great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I know uh, for for me, mental health has really been a uh, a positive thing, and I always suggest people uh, or refer people to military one source because. There's always that uh, understanding, especially back in the in the day, right? That if you went to to men- mental health, that essentially that you could lose security clearance, you could potentially uh, get put on uh, no flying orders. Uh, the, the list is long. And right. Doing a better job of keeping tabs, especially with the uh, suicide rates that have happen- have happened in the past uh, couple of years. And it's just a better way of just uh, broadcasting and announcing and letting everyone know, like, it's okay to go get the help because that's what the resources are there for.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, because right. because if you get help and you get what you need, right, then that puts you back in the fight and, and the, the manpower we need to push this mission
0: forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. One question that, I, that I've been, like, really anxious to ask you is… As a sitting chief, uh, that you're getting ready to now become the, the chief of the, the entire squadron. Uh, what is the, like maybe three things that you would recommend to a squadron commander as sound device? Uh,
1: you know, the first one is, is, uh, don't jump to conclusions. Hmm. Don't, you know, there's always two sides to the story, right? Make sure that um, you understand both sides before you make a decision, um, especially when it comes to discipline, um, understand that piece along. And then once you have the, the solid information, right. Then you, you know, coordinate with the, the JA and chart a course forward, right. It's for, for that member.
0: Um,
1: right. and then, and then two, right. I, I think the second thing would be is, is patience, patience, knowing that you're not always going to get stuff to you, right. The first time. Right. And so, then the third one is is set expectations set mm. solid expectations with with the leaders within every single flight right the, the things that you like the things you don't like um how do you want things presented to you right so um what are your pet peeves right so uh, we we go out of our way in order to please a commander, right? And so whatever we can do on our end um, that, that creates us less stress, right? Uh, we need to know that.
0: Right, right. No, that's that's important. So I might
1: interpret what you want one way, but you're expecting it a totally different way. And then when I provide it, right, then it makes me look like I don't know what I'm doing.
0: Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So I think those are the, the three key things to do as you – become a new squadron commander.
0: Yeah. With your experience, I know, um, you know, you've got a a lot of supply, um, but with your experience in the Air Force, um, some of the things that come to mind in terms of like, you know, leadership styles and things of nature, you know, what, what is it like your, your most pet, like something that just, you can't stand (laughs) and and you've got to like really correct.
1: Uh, I, I hate when people lie to
0: me. I'm with you on that
1: one, right? Just, just be honest, right? Let be, be a, a man, be a woman, and just like, like own it. That, that's really what I want is own it, right? Because then, then we can get past it, right? right? Because now, if you, if you lie to me, and then I come behind you and find that you lied to me, then now I can't even trust you, right, right, right. And so, but now if you just tell me the truth, right, then I'm going to trust you even more. Right. So then and then if you lie, right, I think one, you lose trust and then I'm not you're not a credible anymore. I'm not I'm yes. not going to come to you or ask you to do anything because you just proven otherwise.
0: Right. Yeah. Credibility is huge and it carries a lot of weight. And when you think about how you give people direction as a chief, as a commander, as a senior NCO, as a CGO, FGO, it's like people will listen to you. But once you lose that credibility, it's really hard to get it back.
1: Yeah. And then I think the second thing for me would be a uh, lack of follow through. Like if you're going to tell me you're going to do something, then do it. Right. I, right. I, I hate following up three or four or five times like, hey, you said you're going to do this when you're going to do it. Right. So um, own own it. Right. You know, uh, if you're going to do something and you say you're going to do something, then do it.
0: Right. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on people who avoid conversations like that?
1: I, I think they don't want to hear the
0: truth. Right. Right. And so uh,
1: they're they're potentially self-absorbed and they think that their way is right and always right. And they just don't want to hear the feedback. Yeah. Right. Uh, And so we're 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 prideful humans um, and nobody can can tell us anything differently.
0: Right. Right. No, you're Um,
1: right. You've got to be humble um, in order to succeed.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh humbling oneself is just really stepping out of your ego. And you know, several things come to mind is you know being a servant leader and, right. and leading people in that capacity. And I, I think that you can gain a lot of traction by, you know, being a servant leader and just being humble. Uh, because you know regardless of the the rank, you know, once you take that stripe off, once you take that oak leaf off you're just Roy and you're just Scott and you're just having a, a intimate conversation about, you know, the air force and, and no, I, and I appreciate this. Uh, this is very insightful. I I didn't know a lot of things about you uh, and I'm so glad we had this conversation because now, Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, man, you know, you're just an awesome person, you know, I'm mean, all, all kinds of goodness. One last thing though. Uh, sure. When, when I mentioned work-life balance, what are some of the techniques or, or some of the things that you, uh, have done and that has been successful, whether, whether it be working out, whether it be, you know, going to mental health, whether it be, you know, going home, having a cold one, what is it that you do and what is it that has made it work for you? you know, one thing I, I think
1: that's real, I've had a blessing is, is having an outstanding wife that understands uh, is, is very key, right? But I think that has to be, you know, communication, right? Uh, right? Communicating with the wife, let, you know, letting her know, hey, what's going on, you know, kind of explaining the why, um, has been a huge, huge key in in kind of that balance, right? Because she knows that uh, there's gonna be times where I won't come home until six, seven, eight o'clock at night. But but communicating the why, I think she, it helped guide the understanding, uh, and then it becomes more you right. know acceptable, right? Um, the other two is is uh, knowing when to quit. Um, the job is always going to be there. The job is never going to you know end per se. Um, so set a time like, hey, all right, I'm 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 leaving five, I'm leaving at five every single day, right? For the most part, because unless you've got a pressing tasking or somebody's asking for something that, that, that they need for mission requirements, but you know, most emails that we get can wait till the next day when it, five o'clock rolls around, right? Knowing, knowing when to quit is, is key, right? Um, knowing when to, you know, take a knee uh, and understand, Hey, maybe I need a day or two uh this week just to you know recharge um knowing when you know take leave right cuz uh right. people hoard leave for some reason uh, i don't know why but you know work on taking a week you know in the spring and maybe taking another week in the fall right um and and when you're on leave be on leave um right you know, disconnect, right? Uh, Enjoy the moment. Uh, And I think for me, those are the kind of the things that worked for me. Um, It was just, you know, communication, knowing when to leave work and uh, and, and knowing when to take leave.
0: Okay. No, I appreciate that. I think, uh, you know, that's that's that balance you have to try to discover. And, you know, having a healthy relationship, having a healthy conversation with your significant other, I think does help uh, a lot. It helps uh, relieve really stress off of them because they're able to express to you you know some of the things that they like they don't like uh you know some of those left right bounds and parameters um you know at the end of the day you're two d- different individual people and if the other person has a career it's like okay well how do you navigate through those waters to make sure that everybody wins because ultimately it's a team concept it's a team construct and You have to be a team player and you have to be cognizant of other people. Absolutely. So, Chief, uh, before we truly, truly go, there's (laughs) what I'd like to call uh, a rapid question and answer. So I'm going to ask you a series of just quick questions and then you just answer whatever flies off the top of your head. Okay. Okay? All right. What's your favorite color? Red. Are you a dog or cat person? Dog. What's your favorite team?
1: Oklahoma Sooner.
0: Football. All right. Football. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) College, right?
1: (laughs) College. Yep. I'm a college guy. (laughs)
0: What's your favorite song?
1: Ooh, The Dance by Garth Brooks.
0: What is your favorite bass?
1: Ooh, Aviano. Even though Aviano. Well, even though I was I was only two there, two years of my four years assignment, Aviano was probably the best. Yeah,
0: so far. Who was your favorite actor?
1: I really don't have one, honestly. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Not, All right. I, I enjoy movies, but like I, I don't necessarily have one that just like, oh, I like this person. So
0: right. No, I, I get it. What's your favorite car? Uh,
1: I would say the one that I bought when I made master, it's uh, the Volvo.
0: A Volvo. Yeah. Those guys are, are uh, what is it? Like a hundred percent steel, right? These, these things.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, Dependable. yeah. But, yeah. So, I, uh, you know, I still have it, you know, and it's, I bought it in 2012 and my son drives it now, um, because he needed a car, but yeah, I still love it.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, who's your favorite, uh, child?
1: <laughs> Probably Olivia, my daughter.
0: <laughs> All right. So we're gonna edit that because we don't want the, the kids to hear that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I agree. Well, you know what's sad is is they know. All right, Chief. Well, thank you again for taking the time off your busy schedule to have this conversation with me, and I look forward to our next meeting. Awesome. Talk you later. All right, man. sir. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Resilient Wingman Podcast. And just remember, anyone can be a wingman, and it starts by having each other's backs.